Amen. Wow, this is getting fun. <clears throat> Speaking of fun, I uh, just have to have a proud dad moment now, if I can. This is my son's rendition from about 15 minutes ago of Holy Spirit come and flood this atmosphere. <laughs> so you see some universe elements there. The orange things are the bricks of this building. Uh, the the uh, stylized no, we'll call it, was... Um, the next song we said, you know, no one compares to your presence or whatnot. I guess God's wearing a dress. That's okay. <clears throat> Grace. Watch out, Beth Price. I mean, I know Beth, Beth usually does the artwork up here, but anyways. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> awesome. Well, this morning I want to talk about joy. Joy. Yeah, there we go. And uh, as we look at joy... I have two kind of foundational assumptions about joy. The first one is, is that we all want more joy in our lives. In other words, it's pretty rare that someone comes to me and says, Neil, you know, I just need a little more anxiety, depression, discouragement, doubt, fear, and unbelief in my life, and I'll be all set. Or it's fairly rare that we go to the counselor's office and we say, you know what, Doc, my problem is I've just got too much joy. You know, can you, can you help me out here? Right? We're all longing for more joy. But the other uh, foundational kind of assumption that I have is that it's elusive to us. That we don't always know how to get it or how to go about getting it. And I thanks, hats off to Dr. J- James Emery White. He's the pastor of Mecklenburg Community Church in Charlotte, North Carolina for this, these illustrations I'm about to give. So he says this. He says, isn't it interesting that we spend literally hundreds of thousands of dollars getting trained for our career and years, but we rarely take a class on how to get along with our coworkers. And yet, what is the biggest stealer of joy at work? For sure, we have deadlines. For sure, we have the bottom line. But often, at least in my visiting you in your workplace, often the stealer of joy is people and the relational dynamic and the conflict management. Isn't that right? What about the reality that we spend tens of thousands of dollars on our wedding day and we spend months preparing for the ceremony? There's no condemnation here for anyone. <clears throat> and, but, you know, um, at least in this church, we require six hours of premarital counseling. That's it. It's pretty low. And yet, what is the biggest stealer of joy? with our mate is when we are having a bad run with them. You know, when the home is a hard place to be, it's just awful. I mean, I I don't know about you, but it's sometimes it's hard for me to function at work if Kelsey and I are in kind of an extreme uh, conflict. It's difficult. We go to our birthing classes. We paint the nursery. We buy the crib. We may even start a college fund. But we rarely give enough thought to when my child starts to express its will at two and three and four years old. What's my plan? And even more important than that, when my child becomes a teenager, how am I going to deal with the conflict there? And yet, what is some of the biggest stealers of joy in the home are those conflicts, especially during the teenage years. That's certainly part of my story, where when my older brother uh, entered puberty, uh, it just added a stressor on my parents' marriage that would eventually, their marriage eventually dissolved. And that wasn't the only stressor, but it was a huge source of joy stealing. And it's just as simple as getting behind the wheel 
or going to the grocery store and our joy gets stolen by someone who's just annoying, you know, <laughs> or not, that doesn't know how to relate to us. So, or be kind. How's that? Um, so my point is joy, I don't think is primarily a feeling, but joy is, I'll say essentially, and I'm going to go even as far as today to say exclusively a function of our relationships. Okay, let me say that again. Joy is exclusively a function of our relationships. Let's spend a moment here. Let's just define joy. You know that the saying, a picture is worth a thousand words. So let's show this picture. Because here's the best definition of joy that I can give. There we go. Okay, that is joy. And can we break this down? Let's look at what's going on here. That child, and we're, we're focused on the child right now. The joy is that this child is about to be in the arms of her beloved. She's loved. She is free. She knows there's connection regardless of where she's at emotionally. She is about to experience the connection that brings her joy. And I mean, my goodness, I know the joy as the parent when JD or Hannah come just running to me, my heart is filled. But what's going on with them is security, safety, connection, life. If I have to use words, I'll use the words of Dr. Roger Boyd. He was Kelsey and I's counselor at the Alongside program. We were just at in Michigan, this growth and renewal retreat for pastors and missionaries. And he says that joy is the state of being. When I am with someone who is glad to be with me, regardless of how I'm doing. And that's, I've edited his, his definition slightly. Let me say it again. Joy is the state of being I have when I am with someone who is glad to be with me. Is he glad to be with his daughter? He sure is, regardless of where she's at. That is joy. And C.S. Lewis, Christian apologist, author, prolific, he said this. He said, joy is the serious business of heaven. Joy is the serious business of heaven. Meaning God really cares about your joy. And doesn't this picture remind you of those few verses that we see in all the synoptic gospels? Mark 10 I think it's Luke 18 or 19, Matthew 18 or 19. The little picture we get. What did Jesus say when the disciples were saying, stay away? Right? Parents were bringing their kids to be touched by Jesus. They wanted the blessing. They wanted the connection. They wanted the joy. Jesus was indignant with the disciples and said, let the children come to me. Because Jesus understood joy. Because Jesus understands connection. Because he understood that Jesus is, excuse me, joy is exclusively a function of relationship and relating. So Jesus understood joy. Okay. I want to talk about two main things here. I want to talk about joy in God. And then I want to bring us to joy in relationship with one another. Because, of course, as human beings, our foundational relationship is with God. And so this is where we have to start. And it's what we were singing about this whole last half hour is this joy in connecting with God. And when we think about the joy that we can get in our relationship with God, we've got to 
kind of think about three aspects. The first aspect is that God has come. God has come. If you're with us in two and a half months from now, in the dark New England midwinter, we're going to hold up some candles and we're going to sing, Joy to the world, the Lord. Okay, the Lord has come. Right? Our joy, the joy of the world is that God has come. God has every reason to send this planet spinning off into the rest of the universe because of the rebellion of mankind. And yet, he keeps it in its place. Not only that, but he sent his Savior to come and rescue us so we could have what? A religious service every Sunday? No, so we could have a relationship with him. And his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God, God with us. Relationship. God has come. The second part of joy in God is that he's here now, right? We can have him now. And all of you who have your stopwatches out waiting, waiting for me to make more biblical references here, we'll get into the Bible now, okay? <laughs> I have made a few already, but <clears throat> okay, we will look at the Bible. <laughs> there it is, Psalm 4. Let's look at Psalm 4 and God's presence now. I love this. There are many who say, this is Psalm 4, verses 6 and 7. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Boy, if that sounds, I can't think of a better description than 21st century life right now. Who will show us some good? The world is topsy-turvy. Things are crazy. Who's going to show us some good? And what's the psalmist's own answer? His answer is, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. We need to see your face. Now, we could do a whole sermon series actually on scripture and the face of God because it's such an interesting topic where people have cried out to experience the face of God but can I just make an observation now and that is that there's actually a psychological term called mirroring and mirroring is what happens when Jeremy and Nicole Puzz are looking at their little Jonah and and there's especially with mom at that and infancy, when mom and baby are connecting and there's something going on between their eyes, that's mirroring. Mommy smiles, baby smiles eventually after about six months. <laughs> and there's just, when babies don't get that, they die. Okay? When babies don't get the mirroring, they're severely dysfunctional and at worst, they die. So this whole scriptural, scriptural idea that we need to see the face of God that's not just a great literary device used by the Holy Spirit. It's, God, I need your face because when I see your face, and think back to that image we saw, when I see your face, I know I'm okay. I know I'm secure. Everything's safe. You love me. You accept me. Just You're glad to see me, even no matter what my condition is. And there's joy there. It doesn't even matter what the circumstances are. There's joy because I've seen your face. You, this is verse 7 now, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. God's put more, more joy in our hearts than when wine and uh, grain and wine abound. Now listen, I love, my heart gets filled when you have, you know, a few friends over and you're hanging out and you have a good meal together. That really fills my heart. I love that. Or I love few buddies we go to the Bruins game right a lot of fun it's a real shalom moment when you see 
bunch of overpaid 20-year-olds hit each other in the face because they're trying to chase after a little rubber puck on the ice. <laughs> Anyways, it's a shalom moment for me. I enjoy it. My heart gets filled up with these things. I love it. Yes, Kate's, 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 where's your Bruins jersey? They, they, they beat the Flyers on opening night. <laughs> yes. Couldn't do it against Detroit and what was last night? Okay, sad, sad. All right. No shalom. <clears throat> no joy. <laughs> I mean, man, um, I believe that if you are born again, that you know the joy of experiencing God's presence. And that even though living life large is wonderful and we are meant for pleasures of being together, which we'll talk about actually shortly, there is a joy in the presence of God. Amen? And let's look at Psalm 1611 also. Psalm 16, verse 11. Um, man, this is, I think we just sang it. Yeah, we did. Uh, yeah, you make known to me the path of life. Psalm 16, by the way, it's up there with Psalm 23. It just, it's so rich. You can just spend a lot of time in these verses. But Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life, and then in your presence is fullness of joy. In your presence is fullness of joy. Why? Because that picture. Because I'm accepted, I'm secure, I'm connected, I'm loved. In your presence is fullness of joy. Yet, we are halfway between Eden and heaven. The joy that we experience in God's presence is at times very fleeting. We live with many of the frustrations, uh, challenges, busyness, difficulty, sadness, and brokenness of the world that we are in. So the third part about our joy in relationship to God is, of course, the joy of us being ultimately together later. Let's look at John. And actually, Jason, if you don't mind, let's start with John 16 first. Let's look at a couple of verses in John. Jesus is speaking to his friends, his disciples, and he mentions joy. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is on the night that Jesus would uh, be taken and then crucified the next day. You will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, right? They're going to be glad I'm gone. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. Honey, did you have sorrow? <laughs> but when she's delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. That joy of being connected with God, no one can take it away. And then let's look at, this is even more powerful what we're about to look at, John 14. Again, same setting. But this is some powerful language that Jesus is using. <laughs> he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? In other words, you guys trust me or not, right? I'm telling you, this is how it's going to be. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. Can you hear Jesus' heart for you and me there? 
And a little context helps. This is the language of Jewish wedding language, okay? That preparing a room, how it worked was if I wanted to marry Kelsey, it would not happen until I had built onto my parents' home our new room together. So I would be, probably some of my buddies, build this new room where my wife and I would live together once we were married. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? He's using that very same language. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I want to be tight. I want to be wed. I want to be intimate with you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I'll take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So a part of our joy in God is a waiting joy. It's a hopeful joy. We know that God wants to be with us. He's glad to be with you no matter how you are. And he can't wait to take you to heaven. So that is our joy in God. Now, the second kind of large thing I want to look at today is our joy with one another. Because that's the place where I think uh, God is highlighting for us today. In other words, nothing that I've said so far I think is necessarily revelatory um, or news to any of you as far as newsflash. But it's really where we need to focus the most today is our joy that comes from relating correctly with one another. I want to start out by sharing this quote from John Ortberg. John Ortberg was an associate at Willow Creek Community Church, large church outside of Chicago. I think then he went to start his own church in California. I actually don't know. Does anyone know what he's doing now? He's a prolific author, but if any of our evangelical newsies uh, know where he is, let me know. But he's written a book. You're going to love this title. He's written a book called Everybody is Normal Until You Get to Know Them. (laughs) Don't you love that title? There's like so much said in that title. Everybody is normal until you get to know them. Thank you, God. Okay. But he says this. Remember, context is joy and relationship with each other. He says, sometimes in church circles, when people feel lonely, we will tell them not to expect too much from human relationships. That there's inside every human being this God-shaped void that no other person can fill. That is true. But apparently... According to the writer of Genesis, God creates inside this man a kind of human-shaped void that God himself will not fill. No substitute will fill this need in you for human relationship. Not money, not achievement, not busyness, not books, not even God himself. Even though this man was in a state of sinless perfection, he was alone. And it was not good. Community, and I'll substitute here my word joy, community and joy, the joy of community, is what you were created for. It is God's desire for your life. It is the one indispensable condition for human flourishing. Not necessarily survival, but human flourishing requires community. And according to um, Jean Vanier, Jean Vanier was the gentleman who started the Arc Lache, those communities that were for um, highly disabled people. Uh, I believe that the devotional writer Henry Nouwen spent time in one of these communities. But according to this man, Vanier, he said, a community is not simply a group of people who live together and love each other. Although that in itself would be pretty awesome. 
but it is a place of resurrection. And actually, I might add, community is a place of death, burial, and resurrection, right? Whether that community is just your marriage, whether that community is some of your close friends, whether the community is the harbor, we all die a little bit so that we all can love one another and so we can all experience that joy of relationship. So we have to work at building this. It doesn't just come to us, right? We don't, uh, community doesn't just happen. And the joy of being in right relationship with one another, it just doesn't appear magically. It takes work. And again, Dr. James Emery White said um, recently in a blog, he just said, you know, that's the deal is when people kind of do the church shopping thing, they're always looking, they're looking for community instead of working to build it. Okay, can I just say that again to the North American Western church out there in the universe? (laughs) We are always looking for community. And of course, is it okay for you to look for the tribe that you want to associate with? Should you be sure about the family that you want to be with? Of course. But everyone's looking for community and no one is working to build it. Amen? And so, hey, I'm just going to tell you a little bit where that the rub is for me. And it happens mostly with our our students, what is hard for me, I'll just say this, as a pastor, anytime someone leaves, no matter how good the, the conditions are for their leaving, it still hurts a little bit, okay? Just tell you that, right? So if you're going to leave, just let me down gently, okay? <laughs> but sometimes, and this is just a teaching moment for, I love seeing all these students here, by the way. Students, please try us again next Sunday. Uh, <laughs> but sometimes we'll have invested a year or two with a student And then, you know, they kind of say, well, that was great, but I'm going to go over here now. And besides, I think my challenge just for them is, um, you're free. I'm always going to release you. Always. I'll release anyone. What what business do I have controlling anyone? But but my challenge is, are you working to build community or or are you just looking for community, right? Is, Is everyone... Are we, am, I, am I coming across okay here? <laughs> okay. So, man, we've got to work together to build community. It just doesn't happen. And so I think that uh, all of us, uh, all of us have a challenge to work towards building community and working towards that joy. Now, an interesting thing and about joy in the New Testament is this. When you just do a simple concordance lookup of joy in just Paul's, the Apostle Paul's uh, works, his literature, his, his um, letters, guess what you find? There are a couple references to joy regarding God. You'll know some of them. For example, you'll know Galatians 5, right? The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, okay? So the Holy Spirit. Another place, Paul's kind of... Uh, Um, He's addressing some liberty and legalism things. And he says, hey, the kingdom of God isn't about eating and drinking, but it's about joy. Yeah, righteousness, joy, and peace in the kingdom. Or in the Holy Spirit, excuse me, in the Holy Spirit. And there's a few others maybe. But the vast majority of references to joy from Paul are all when he is describing, defining, or wrestling through his relationship with, with the human beings of the churches that he was associated with. In other words, Paul had a real handle on this thing, that joy 
But it's all just a function of how we are relating one to another. So, I mean, gosh, we could go through tons of verses, but one that's just very direct is this one we see in 1 Thessalonians. This is early on in his ministry. And Paul, the context here is he was kind of pulled away from the Thessalonians. And he says this, he says, For what is our hope, our joy, our crown, our boasting before the Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? Is it not people? For you are our glory and our joy. And I'm telling you, in epistle after epistle, it's Paul's describing his relationship. You know, even his wrestling, if you know some of the Corinthians, Paul had a real, uh, it, was, it was touchy with the Corinthians there for a while. But even that, he just describes the joy or the lack of joy or the loss of joy in walking through the pain of their relationship. When I used to hear messages on joy, or when I think about joy, to me it just always came across as really fluffy, right? I was more like, all right, let's, Kingdom, heaven and hell, let's go. Mission, church. But when I realize the substantiveness of Paul's writing on joy, it arrests me. And I realize that joy matters. And it's a function of relationship. And in, in, in the context of last week's message, I just realized that I have a lot to learn about joy. I'll just say that. We have a lot to learn together about joy. So as we get ready to respond here and just get back into that presence of God and his joy, I want to leave with you a few things from a book called Living from the Heart that Jesus Gave You by Friesen Wilder, Blurling, Kopke, and Poole. If you want to know all five authors, there they are. Living from the Heart that Jesus Gave You. They just give some really basic uh, and yet challenging practicals on how to build joy in relationships. Because this is what we want to do. We want to jump into joy by building joy into relationships. If we believe that joy is exclusively a function of relationships, then, then, then um, these might be helpful to you. I'm just going to, sh- there's five. I'll, I'll put two together to make it easier. Because six just seems like such a demonic number. So we'll get five. <laughs> Our earthly number, we'll say human. It seems human. How's that? Okay. This is big. Number one is, Smile and use warm tones when you are coming and going. This might be miraculous for New England, right? (laughs) If we can smile and use warm tones in our greeting and taking leave from each other, the point is that builds joy, right? Right? It builds joy as you're just, it's kind of basic stuff. All right, second thing, ask questions of others and listen. Right? If you're like me, sometimes I'm a little bit paralyzed or fearful in in an interpersonal uh, situation, and I just forget. I'm just monitoring what's happening inside of me. So the act of asking a question of someone else sometimes takes a monumental feat of, you know, death to self. Just asking a question, listening to the answer without relating it to yourself, without interrupting them, without judging them right away. God, help me and help us to build joy. Number three, try to end challenging conversations positively. Okay? If we're going to do this joy thing, we're also going to have some conflict. You probably have a little conflict in your family from time to time. But if you can, try to end those conversations of conflict as positively as possible 
that will be building joy into the relationships there. Fourth, you've got to be careful here. Fourth is use touch appropriately, okay? According to the relationship, there we go. I see some hugs. Yes, please do. Put an arm around the person to your right and your left. That's appropriate, I guess. Maybe, I guess not. No one's doing it. There we go. Okay. <laughs> there we go. Okay. We can use some warmth in our, in our appropriate touching of one another. Okay. Fifth, and this really can work in any relationship, uh, but... You know, you can think of whether it's a spouse, whether it's good friends, whether it's your roommates, uh, whatever it is, um, just mindfulness goes a long way. So little gifts that you're thinking about someone when they were absent from you. You know, we have two expressions. We have one which is out of sight, out of mind. We have another expression, absence makes the heart grow fonder. So let's try to do that second one, right? Again, you can't do it for everyone. But for a few of your close relationships, when you show yourself to be mindful of them, what does that do that builds joy? Again, I know these are kind of basics, but as always, it's in the doing that that we really see breakthrough. Amen? All right. Who wants some joy? (laughs) Who wants wants to build some joy? It's not just a feeling, but it's, it's uh, it's that experience when you're with someone who's glad to be with you. That's all these five little things that we just shared. Those, those are ways that you can show someone that you're glad to be with them, no matter if they're excited, depressed, sad, happy, miserable, whatever. We can just build joy. Okay. Amen. Well, hey, let's get the worship team back up here. Someone give me a time check real quick. 30. Awesome. You can spend time with Jesus today. I don't have to rush communion like last week. Okay. Why don't we all stand? Let's be joy builders. You probably want this back. So let's just, let me guide you in just an encounter with the joy giver. Actually, Psalm 45 says that prophetically, you know, kind of messianic prophecy, Psalm 45 says that um, Jesus has joy above his fellows, above his brothers, that there's oil of joy coming from him. So, Lord, we look to you, the one who is absolutely dripping and oozing with joy the one in whose eyes we look and we always feel welcome. We always feel that you're glad to be with us no matter where we are emotionally. And that gives us a lot of joy. So actually, let's pause there. And if you've never experienced that embrace from Jesus, let's invite him to do that to you now. Maybe you've never really experienced the eyes of Jesus piercing through your soul with a love that is so good that Paul said it's beyond knowledge in Ephesians 3. Let Jesus love you right now. Let the joy giver bring you joy. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to invade our imaginations even now. 
homes that regardless of experiences with parents or other authorities in our life that may have not been glad to see us when we came to them. We cast those cares on you because you care for us. We receive by faith even now the loving embrace of the Father that we learn about in the Luke 15 and the prodigal son, a father who comes running with joy at a son who has come home regardless of what he did. Come, joy giver. And let people now experience that presence and that joy.